Welcome back to KafaruCast, everyone. I am uh, solo today because Frank is doing some real-life paperwork uh, for once, which I can't say anything about that. But we've got uh, Tom Clum, the uh, Jedi Master of uh, all things traditional archery on. Tom, what's going on? <laughs> Not much, buddy. I'm glad to come over here with you today. Yeah, I'm glad I caught you. I didn't uh, I didn't know what you'd be doing, and I, I thought about it, and I'm like, well, I'm actually in the office today, so I might as well do a podcast <laughs> and shot you a text. So Yeah. So how uh, how's the season gone so far for you? Well, for me, it wasn't much of a season. I got f- out first four days, just as tough. I did a little four-day backpack with some buddies and uh, summer conditions all the way. Yeah. Uh, found some nice bulls up sitting on top of the ridge all day. Uh, I didn't want to kick those elk out of there, so I was just sitting off of, uh, you know, some funnels off their bedding area where the wind went kick them out of there and wait waiting for something you know they get up every couple hours and mill around a little bit yeah <clears throat> that's the way i was going to try to kill an elk is catch one of those damn near did i had a really nice six by six milled in got his head in the opening i was waiting for but didn't decide to mill the other way but i didn't want to kick him either for my buddies so had some long boring days about the only effective way to kill an elk there what sat sat him on on him uh under him till dark and then walked back to camp just hoping those guys would get up or i could have a hunt but they were in their beds by eight and they they were in their beds all day till dark so impossible conditions uh decided to stay in the shop this year's kind of a weird year let the let the boys get out there which yeah. i'm glad i did danny got that last week and got a cow yeah no that's good and he had some shoulder problems too he wasn't even sure if he's going to be able to hunt so no that's cool. no he had uh, some really nice muley bucks got it out uh Preseason, he had to turn his tag in a few days before season because he couldn't really hold his bow up in those conditions. But uh, was rehabbing super hard. Uh, went hunting with some help sighting it in. Uh, had a twenty and a thirty pin. And uh, at camp, he's getting better all the time. Uh, went ahead and sighted a bottom pin in forty five with a, an adjustment. End up killing his elk. Just dotted it at forty five. Steep, super steep train, just like kind of, kind of stuff you were telling me. Elk kicked all around. Found some elk on some really steep, nasty hole that nobody else was, everybody was walking by. And uh, elk slid down the hill or rolled down the hill 500 feet. That's like 165 yards. Yeah, no kidding. It was kidding. so steep. Yeah, no kidding. Pull that mic a little bit closer to you. I uh, make sure the audio is good. How's that, buddy? Oh, yeah, you're good. Yeah, I. Uh, uh, we're just going to cover everything today so people know so who knows what we'll talk about but uh frank and i only went in for well two nights but one full day of hunting and uh it it doesn't take much to and we've had several guys come in here asking us questions uh that have come from back east or the midwest to hunt elk and then stopped here on their way back home and and told us their you know stories about hunting and um i was pretty candid with the i think probably seven or eight groups that I talk to that if you're you're I'm not saying you can't be productive hiking 15 miles a day I'm just saying more than most likely out of those 15 miles you know maybe 13 of them you were scaring off elk and the other two you might have been productive because if you're walking that far you're you are spreading your scent around and and to walk 15 miles in a day or 10 miles which is a long ways um the wind will not be good <laughs> that entire time. So a lot of times, um, like you said, if we get on a, a group of elk, we'll, we'll um, as, as, as hard as it is, maybe 400 yards away, 
watch them go into bed, wait for them to come back out. And the idea being obviously the wind is more in our favor when they do come back out or a position where we might be able to call them out of their beds once the wind's more favorable. When you, when you don't do that, um, as you know, you've done this way longer than me, what create, what it happens is the elk just go away and they don't ever come back or they become extremely call shy. Yeah. You, you spend three days in a drainage, you're putting enough scent in there to move them out of there, even a couple of days. Uh, Danny, really smart about it. He's hunting with my nephew, Chad, my son-in-law, Kelly, and they were just sitting off the elk. These these elk, I mean, have that last week of the season, public over-the-counter stuff, they're in a 300-yard bedding feeding pattern. And so... And that's pretty tight considering yeah, four weeks before it was probably more like 1,000, 2,000. Yeah. yeah, exactly, where you'll see them moving around feeding. Right. So they really picked their spots and they all had really good chances. Um, Danny's talking about my son-in-law being a wrecking ball because he got in tight, almost had a 15-yard shot at the herd bull. I mean, really well over 300-inch bull, but some elk that came in behind him got nailed him and he blew the elk out. I mean, he was being really ethical. He hit a tight shot and he was waiting for a little better shot. Yeah. And the elk kicked out before he could do it. And Danny's over spotting for him, watching elk blow off this mountain like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but they had their chances. Jet, there was a like a willow waving in the wind on a bull for Chad. And he says it waved right. And his arrow just, you know, how they deflect off yeah. even the littlest thing. And so he had a little bad luck going for him. And just, you know, they, they had a chance to kill three elk, which last week of the season, backpacking, had to move because of a forest fire, hot in a new spot, and you know happened to find a spot where they're glassing where everybody's walking by, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. and uh, you know they're three miles in or so, but the hardcore guys were walking right by the elk. But it's a hillside you wouldn't expect them to be on, but that's why they're there. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of where Frank and I had hiked to was a spot that. One, physically, it's difficult, and two, it's just not a spot unless you kind of know what you're looking at that you would think screams elk. But if, you know, you find a bench two and a half miles in or however far in, and there's a, a creek by it, more than most likely, you know, there's probably yeah. going to be some elk there. There were a lot of elk there uh, at one time, but there was also some hunters in there that blew them out. But talking about uh, deflection, I uh, one of the things I want to talk about I've had a so we did those podcasts before the season on uh, arrow weight, FOC, and broadheads and all that kind of stuff. So there's been a insane amount of messages coming in of the stories of of different uh, you know hunters and and what has happened to them. Um, and uh, and I've gotten several that um, guys either fell into I say fell into I get a lot of hate mail from Ashby guys. Um, I don't have any problem with high front of center. It's just not for me. But with guys shooting 750, 800 grain arrows and had a, you know, a 30 yard shot and uh, the uh, the arrow hit 19 different things on the way to it because they had to aim so high or mm -hmm. maybe they panicked a little bit and, you know, the arrow hit down by their knee just because obviously shooting a traditional bow with an 800 grain arrow, there's, you know, you're definitely limiting yourself to pretty close quarters and then um you know other other guys uh one guy I won't mention his name shooting a 410 grain out of a compound uh catching some shoulder getting about three inches of penetration on a 200 inch deer uh another guy clipping the scapula on an elk with a 400 grain arrow um 390 something on a compound um 
and not getting the penetration. So I, I'm glad that the, the um, our community, archery community, especially on the compound side, seems to be starting to shift more towards heavier arrows. Oh, yeah. Um, the front of center thing, I'm sure, will be debated until the end of time of how high to, to go. Um for from for me and my limited experience, I'm a, I was about the same in 16 as I am now. You know, I'm at a 500 and that hair lighter, 570 something is what my airways now, um, and uh, you know somewhere between two and 250 up front, and I have had great luck. Like I have you know, blown through several animals, blown through the scapulas on bears. Um, you know, that deer I just shot, um, broke the offside leg in half, um, with, a, I mean, what would be considered to some a fairly light arrow. Now, Frank, uh, his buck that he shot with a compound is he's shooting a 560 grain arrow at 264 feet per second. Mm-hmm. He shot it in the butt corner and away. It came out its neck. Couldn't, oh, yeah. couldn't find the arrow. Shooting a killer setup. Like Danny's set up uh you know like i said he's just he's just off a of sh- shoulder surgery so <clears throat> he's literally able to shoot his bow the last week of the season with any kind of repetition so he can sight it sight one long pin in right mm-hmm. but he's shooting he's got that bow dialed all the way down he's shooting 580 grains 150 grain cutthroat up front uh at 200 feet a second mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's all the weight he can shoot yeah which right? is is really um yeah, I mean Danny's super tough, so I'm no by no means comparing Danny to a chick, but that's a lot of what a, a woman setup would be. It's yeah, maybe forty five to fifty pounds, and right. what I hate seeing is a, a woman doing that and following a spine chart um, with a hundred gram point weight. Yeah, but, um, because you just don't have the momentum that you you would probably want or need, and so. You know, well, how how did Danny get good penetration oh, on that yeah. cow? It, it was forty five yards. Yeah. Um, Quartered away, uh, cut the last rib in half, exited at the front shoulder, right in front of the front shoulder. Yeah, good penetration. I mean, right to the knock. Yeah. Uh, it trotted not 50 yards. He said it wavered towards the hill, wavered off the hill, did a shoulder plant, as it, and then rolled down the hill 500 feet. He pinned where he shot the elk, and he pinned where he found the elk. Oh, so he, you tell he, <laughs> he, he shot it at 10-2. And pinned it at 97. Good. Low where, well, it's tenderized. Where, yeah, where it stopped rolling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't think I, – and I, I, I do get a lot of comments of guys that are successful with light arrows. And, and I don't think it can be denied you can be successful no. with light arrows. You take Rick Dugan and, say, Nathan Anderson, yeah. two of the three guys that have got the super slam with tra- traditional bows. Those guys are shooting, I know, you know, not much off of 500 grains. Yeah. And give or take. But – Rick's a big dude. Yeah. Rick's a big guy. He's got a long draw length and yeah. he's shooting some weight. So he he does have arrow speed and that is a factor. Well, I think the problem lies in not what's up on front of the arrow makes a huge difference. Meaning Randy Cooling is a good example. He shoots a 475, 80 grain arrow and he's went long ways, long ways through a moose, you know, but he's shooting a cut on contact head, two blade head. Um, well, he shoots three blades now, but where I think it runs into problems is more on the compound side with a uh, forward deploying mechanical that sucks up momentum like it's its job. Yeah. And that's where it'll happen. And I, and I guess I would say that it'll work until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, you'll probably switch. And when you do switch, you'll probably think, wow, why didn't I switch earlier? Because of just the penetration you get, 
you know, with a heavier arrow, heavier point weight. And, and I, I like mechanicals for some setups on a compound, even though I still get bashed for that, that I, I don't mind, um, if you're shooting, um, you know, 550 grain arrow at 75, 80 pounds, there's going to be some applications where, uh, a mechanical will be fine, but, mm-hmm. um, well, Frank's a good example. You know, it's the first year Frank's shooting a heavy arrow, shooting a little bit slower. And um, he said, he goes, dude, I don't know if I'll ever shoot a mechanical again, except maybe at a whitetail, just for the simple devastation of the setup he's he's had. Um, I know. And you say slower, which is a trad guy for the last, I don't know, 30-some years. Yeah. <laughs> like 260 feet a second. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. it opened my eyes even more, and I've always shot heavy arrows. But shooting a compound in 16 or 17 and a traditional bow in 16, yeah, when I, my bow said 268 feet per second, I, not, not one time did I think, wow. That's man, slow. I'm, yeah, yeah. Except where five years ago I would be like, man, I don't know if I can do it. Where <laughs> 260 feet per second, um, yes, if you can't judge yardage or whatever, you know, speed is important as far as the arrow drop. But uh, your bow is generally going to be a lot quieter. And I have definitely found a quiet bow will by far trump a, a fast bow. Because nothing beats the speed of sound, uh, no arrow. And so a, a quiet bow is going to be the winner. And I mean, the buck I just shot, and you told me a long time ago, you, one thing you learn with a traditional bow, you're probably going to kill an animal on your second or third arrow. Well, this is my third animal I've killed on my second or third arrow. This one was sleeping, and it landed between his leg and his heart. Um, when you watch the video, you'll see, because I filmed the bed, it's, you know, the animal had been laying there for four hours right so it was all you know like wet or whatever for moisture and you can see perfectly i'm two inches below its heart or or that armpit and he was sleeping and he just kind of stood up and i think he would have bedded back down but he smelled my arrow and that's what made him bug out of there which i killed him on the second shot he had no idea well that's a bow shooting 180 feet per second that's cool so you know it, it, it's an eye opener for sure but um you know when you when you talk about uh you know arrow weight to me for a compound anything above 500 after 500 is a bonus you know anything yeah. in that five five fifty. totally with you yeah yeah you're good and then i mean even with a stick bow you know depending upon your draw length and everything else it seems like 550 is that you know anything above 550 um you know depending obviously you're starting to get into the more of the the sweet spots just for momentum because you are hindered by your speed um mm-hmm. when you used to shoot wood arrows what those things weigh 470 500 i mean I, right between 490 and 500 grains yeah and they i mean killed a bunch of elk yeah. i didn't didn't shoot out the other side of them yeah i always got two lungs uh, yeah and work just great i mean so you know when the guys ask me for that advice with a trad bow i'm like set kind of set 500 grains as a minimum it's just a really safe place to be it, you know i know bigger guys they kill a lot of stuff they've got these long draw lengths they're shooting a lot more speed and they're doing just fine with lighter arrows they really are you yeah. know 480 grain arrow and they're shooting through stuff um but if you can I, i'd kind of i kind of just Everybody's got recommendations, like belly buttons. Everybody's got opinions, right? Yeah. But that I like that 500 set as a minimum. And then after that, shoot the heaviest arrow that you can tolerate the trajectory of. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that's that 550, 570 range, you know, with my heavier bows. I had a 520-grain setup with 200 grains up front. I knew damn well I was killing elk with that rig. Yeah. You know, but 
that's how I tuned out with the bow. I changed to it late in the year, and I was going to go with it. Of course, Danny's yipping at me like crazy, <laughs> like you're crazy, Dad. Like, son, I killed a few elk when you were like <laughs> in diapers with less than this, yeah. right? You know, with a 125 grain bare razor head, you know? Yeah. And, but, you know, the whole argument gets to marginal hits. That's where the whole argument gets to. It yep. really does. I mean, it, 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 penetration is an awesome thing to have. An exit wound is an awesome thing to have. Yeah. I am so happy with the setups I've had now, that 550, 570 grain range. When I was a little younger and shooting higher into the 50s, I could still maintain that 170, 75 feet a second. For me to get that now with my 50. Two pound bows, I need about 520 grains. But if I'm at uh, 165 feet a second, I'm still happy guy with, you know, like last year with that arrow I killed that cow moose with. It was 565 with 250 up front. Yeah, and you zipped right through that, didn't it, you? No, it parked on the other shoulder blade. Yeah. But it would have. Yeah. Well, yeah. I say zipped right through it. Did it make it through? The, was it just poking through the opposite shoulder blade, or did it stop? No, it, it? just kind of parked there. Yeah, honestly. Well, I was amazed. The, the mule deer, the one I shot at like three or four feet, so that doesn't count. Um, the other one I shot um, with uh, that big, um, what's call it? I shot the first deer with your broadhead to cutthroat. The second one I shot with a tree shark, big wide mm -hmm. cutting diameter. Mm -hmm. um, and got good penetration, but not great. Um, but this one I just shot, you know, we didn't know that offside leg was broken until we went to prop it up for a photo. And uh, my kickstand was broken. And I'm like, what in the hell? And you could see a pinhole where it had poked through but didn't come out, right? Just barely poked through the hide on the on After the going through the bone. Yeah, after going through the bone. And, uh, you know, I was like, you know, I, as you know, very I, – I analyze everything. And I'm like, that's – pretty pretty good you know because i was you know 500 and whatever 70 grains and in a decent distance shot um i'm like wow that is that's pretty good because i went through uh the meatiest part um on that offside or i went through a meaty part on the onside and on the offside you know it broke just below the knuckle you know right where the leg starts to yeah. form below the knuckle and it broke off right there and so that was what was weird because the leg was in one piece it was up into the shoulder where it broke so looking at it at face value i'm like what the hell's going on here but it was way up here where it was like sprawling out and i'm like holy cow that broke that yeah that's very, impressive yeah so i i was pretty pretty amazed by that and then um the mule deer I shot last year with your head, you know, it was through the scapula one side, blew the leg apart on the other side and couldn't find the arrow. Um, it, so it's hard for me. I don't like to argue about this stuff. It's more of presenting, um, yeah. you know, your collective of knowledge of what's happened. Well, but I really enjoyed your conversation with Ryan Broderick because you're talking about that weight front you know, that extreme weight forward, mm -hmm. et cetera, and how vulnerable you are to bad arrow flight with sidewinds. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, that got me thinking about that cow moose in yeah. particular. I was I was making that stock through a stiff sidewind. And, yeah, it probably parked or poked through that other side a lot harder. There's no doubt that thing didn't hit that thing perfectly straight. Yeah. Because I had a strong, you know, I had 250 grain with a 43 grain insert, outsert setup. Yeah. So it was pretty extreme weight forward. Yeah. You know, um, so it was no doubt that robbed a lot of juice out of that arrow. He's gotten some um, negative feedback from that podcast because he, you know, people do 
um, buy into different theories. When I say buy in, I don't mean that in a negative way. Obviously, Ashby's done great things, great testing. Absolutely. Um, and you can't deny that, but you can't – you also – I know what what Broderick has shot. I know many animals, hundreds. And because and he's a good, in a good position to do that, right? He's financially stable, so he can go on a lot of hunts. And he's in Alabama, so he can shoot lots of pigs and whitetails. And his thing – and I didn't buy off on what he said at first. As you know, I set up pretty much what you told me to in 16. What the bow tuned out at, I had aluminum insert, 250-grain point, arrow weighed 580 grains, and off I went. And Completely confident in that rig. Oh, yeah. I knew it would be awesome. And it, it did did great. I mean, the real eye opener, the cutthroat with the elk, is I shot it high, but uh, three-quarters of the broadhead was in the vertebrae. Couldn't get the, couldn't get the broadhead out. Yeah. And so— Broderick told me his theory on the uh, his Africa issue where the, mm-hmm. the winds. Yeah. Well, we were at American Bowman the next week, and I had 300 and some grains up front. Now, part of this is because I had longer feathers. Well, not part, but that's a big part of it. I had bigger feathers, but I like five-inch feathers. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's what's his name? Kevin shoots um, – Bannister? I think so. He shoots like a what, like a uh, like a Morrison or a, what's that one British company's? Oh, he shoots a Scottish bow, the, the super fast one. Yeah, um, yeah, the big hooks. Yeah, crazy hooks. So he's shooting an FMJ that's just super heavy with two hundred up front or something, mm-hmm. five inch feathers. I'm shooting, and my shit looks like a Sidewinder missile. Just. <laughs> And then he shoots and they're just dropping in. Same same feathers, right? He shoots like a you know, whole chicken wing on his, just like I do. And I'm like, Man, you know, in the way I am, I, I don't give a shit what someone tells me, minus you. I'll listen pretty much anything you tell me, but I'm like, Man, that does not look good at all. My arrows in that antelope, yeah, my points where I want it, and my fletching's by its ass. Like it's sitting sideways. And so at that point, I'm like, I'll just start building a bunch of different arrows and figure it out. So I set up a more evenly weighted, heavier arrow, and it, it, I got less porpoising. Yeah. And, and what did what did Ashby himself say? What's the He ranked, you know, what the important factors for penetration. The number one thing was arrow flight. Yeah, and people— Above <laughs> weight forward and above arrow weight. Well, people hear what they want to, right? So that's all that Broderick was trying to say was, hey— I think that one, it it um, is a cheat for tuning. Um, the heavier point weight can kind of mask some uh, form issues and form flaws, and that's fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, and he said, but what it when it does that um, is the 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 fact that your your arrow will not be your knock and your point won't be in line going into the target or into the animal and can cause problems now. I had to get off a few faces, which Danny told me not to get on them in the beginning. One was like high momentum archery, I think. I had to get off one just because I really didn't want to get on there and argue about stuff with guys. Because it was, for me, it's not making a stance. It's more of making a a statement of what's worked for me. If you don't want to do, mm-hmm. and, and, and a guys if were guys, like. If a guy's taking a lot of animals, you probably ought to listen. What, and yeah, that got ugly too. Um, but my, you know, somebody said, well, if your arrow's blowing sideways, um, all of it isn't that going to slow down penetration as much as your your tail porpoising, 
And I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not an engineer, but it doesn't seem like it would. Yes, your arrow's kind of blowing sideways at the target, you know, the whole thing, rather than just the tail. But the knock and the point are still in line. And, and a lot of this breaks down to the fact is you need to get out of your basement and kill shit and find out and, and stop, you know, analyzing and spec. Mm-hmm. It, it is fun to screw around, but. Oh, yeah. Well, I've been bad about that. I counted one time. I think I've killed big game animals with 18 different types of broadheads. Yeah. And I've had three <laughs> and four different ones in my quiver at one time. I do that now. I, for the <laughs> yeah. greater good of people asking questions, I have your cutthroat, an iron whale, and a Valkyrie. Every all, time. all three great great setups, man. Got, got two of each yeah. every time. Yeah. And and the thing is, is I don't just I don't grab one because of a situation. I don't give a shit which one I shoot because I'm confident, confident all in all of them. Yeah. But I, I, I like to be able to say this is what happened when I shot it. So I shot a shitload of cutthroats and iron wills at deer before I hit one and it happened to be where I had Valkyries and that's what I shot the and I didn't care which one I shot the Valkyries that get you know good three blade head the the thing that um that uh, I'm doing I, I do that more for I guess you could say testing and to see you know what happens or you know from blood trails to bone breaking and to whatever else well a lot of guys get wrapped up on the longer head right um Ashby preaches uh, the three to one ratio or what one wide three long mm-hmm. or whatever i'm not totally again i haven't shot a lot of african animals this is north american game and everything else i'm not maybe a longer head will penetrate that much more somebody said that the three to one ratio broadhead will i think they said 60 percent more penetration than uh, let's say your cutthroat i don't i don't believe that i gotta say i don't uh i don't i don't totally buy into that that sixty percent's a big number. That's a lot of improvement. No way, sixty percent. I definitely don't buy into that. Well, and, and uh, again, like you say, it's it's marginal shots. Well, you don't want to take marginal shots on perfect for the greater on purpose for the greater good yeah. of testing. But stuff happens. Yeah, things happen. And and what you what um, you're talking to guys that shoot at a lot of animals, shoot a lot of animals, and learning. Okay, well. Frank, for example, this is a compound though, but with, this was with an iron will. Frank hit that one in the butt and it came out its throat, its neck, full length at 40 yards with a high wind. I mean, you can hear it on the film. He looked for his, because iron will engraved his name in that broadhead. So he wanted it back. I think he said he looked for three hours for that arrow and couldn't find it. The one with your head in Alberta that I shot broke the offside leg in half couldn't find the arrow well these are shorter broadheads compared to that three to one Mm -hmm. theory so i'm not saying it doesn't work but what i am saying is don't compromise your system don't pick fly shit out of chili if you're compromising your system to hit 27 percent foc when you had 18 percent flying like darts you know that kind of a thing i mean do you do you agree with that? I, I mean, what are you I thinking? Do. I do. I'll quote a guy, crusty old friend, Tracy's dad, old Bob Gullickson. We call him uh, sweet old Bob, S-O-B, <laughs> <laughs> which you can take that how you want to, Bob. But uh, anyway, he, he, you know, there's a never-ending argument in my shop or any gathering of archers. You get two or more archers, you will have a broadhead argument. But Bob kind of summed it up. He goes, they all work and they all don't work. Is the best thing I've ever heard because there are situations where one would be better to have than the other, depending yeah. on where you hit the dang animal, right? Yeah. And so customers that come in too are like, 
you know, if it's a penetration issue, if it's a lady shooting a lighter bow, there's certainly going to be a different broadhead recommendation than the guy that's six four, you know, shooting six hundred and fifty grains at some high speed. Right. You know, he can push a lot of stuff through <laughs> bone and and oh. tissue. Oh yeah, for <laughs> right? sure. And and what's your hunting? I don't know. Yeah, um, well, and you look at, like, you get up there in age where you can't pull the weight back you once could, yeah. or you're a female or not very strong or young. If you walk into an, not your archery range, but if you walk into a archery range and the the bow is at, say, 46 pounds, okay, well, it's going to say probably um, 500 spine arrow, maybe maybe six, but 500 spine arrow mm-hmm. on the chart with a aluminum insert and a 100-grain point. And that arrow is probably going to weigh, as a rough guess, 6.5 grains per inch or something. Not very much. Yeah. Um, moral of the story, by the time she's all said and done and ready to go, you've got a 340 to 60 grain arrow, which is not, in my opinion, something you should be taking in the woods. Um, in conveying this or getting this out that, okay, you know, you may be limited only a 40-yard shot. 40 yards is pretty damn far. Um with a heavier arrow, they'd be a lot better off bumping her up to five, four fifty, five hundred. Oh yeah. And a cut on contact broadhead, definitely not a mechanical. Now, is it going to be a speed demon? No, uh, of course not. But with all the technology we have, rangefinders, for example. That's what I was just going to say. We didn't have electronic rangefinders when I shot compounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had those little split image deals. If you bumped it once, you had to recalibrate yeah. it. Yeah, those things were horrible. Yeah, it's like you're blurry and then, oh, I can if you see. you got the range, you're going you're gonna to put it in there. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, this, this horse has been beaten to death. But the biggest thing is the collective, not everyone that has put a lot of animals on the ground. But for the most part, if you talk to, you know, most guys that are, are successful um, year in and year out, over time they found a heavy arrow works better. Um, it just does. Yeah, and, and this isn't 100%, but I'd say high 90s if you talk to different guys. And I can tell you, one of my buddies this year, 410, 420 grain guy, he had an incident on a 200-plus mule deer. Same reason why I switched. Uh, same, almost exact same deal. Got four inches of penetration, marginal shot, got it in the shoulder. But he said, I will never shoot under a 520 grain arrow ever again. He was like, I know just from seeing what I've done with my setup, he goes, I know if I would have had a cut on contact head and a heavier arrow, a heavier arrow at the least, I'd be sitting on a 200 plus inch mule deer right now. Because, and I don't, you know, the momentum from the mechanical to get it to open sucks so much momentum out is part of the problem. And then that lighter arrow, that's another part of the problem. You know, when it's shooting out the back end, there's no ass pushing the arrow through. It's so light that once it's it hits, it's got no follow through in a layman's term. And so can it be done? Oh, yeah, you can kill. Yeah, hit between the ribs. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. On virtually with any setup and you're right between the ribs, get her done. Yeah, for sure. So to get off another subject, but on arrows, tuning uh, is an issue across North America and the world and people learning how. And I'm going to, um, you know, this will be compound and traditional, but they're actually pretty damn close to the same when you talk about bear shaft tuning or whatever else. We're not going to go into a, a crazy in-depth thing on how this works, but just so people understand, when you when you bear shaft tune, it's harder with a stick bow. This is my opinion. Obviously, throw your two cents in because if you have a crappy release, 
bear shaft tuning may not work out because it may be different every time. Mm -hmm. But when you bear shaft tune compound or or traditional with a a compound, obviously you get your bow set up, meaning center shot and knock height and everything okay. I try to cut my arrows a little bit longer than I think I'm going to need. So I've got, you can't add to, you can only take away Mm -hmm. from. So you start out a little longer and you start out a little longer with your projected tip weight. So if you want to shoot, um, Again, compound or traditional, pretty heavy tip weight. Uh, your chart's not going to know. You're not going to be able to read a chart for that if you're talking about um, running really heavy tip weight. So you need to go down at least one spine mm-hmm. if you're if you're bumping that up. And then and then I treat it like I did the spine I was supposed to be at. Meaning, if I bump down, I'm supposed to be at a 350 spine, and I'll bump down to a 250 spine. I'm still going to cut the arrow what I would have. If I had a standard 100 and 125 grain point, meaning mm-hmm. I probably cut it down at 29 and a half inches, even though my arrow may end up 28 and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm going to glue my point and everything in and my insert. I'll, I'll cut it off the back end and meaning so I don't have to unglue and re-glue or whatever. And when you shoot, well, I'll just give you an example. I shoot and at 10 yards, my knock is pointing 12 inches to the left. What does that mean? Uh, Weak. (laughs) Yeah. Your right-handed archer. Right-handed archer. Now, 12 inches to the left would mean probably extremely weak. um, Yeah, that would be ridiculously weak. So then this is the question. Completely the wrong arrow. You're not going to make that arrow work. Yeah. So (laughs) what you would really have to do is cut five inches off of the arrow, which isn't going to work. You're not going to make that arrow work. Right. So, So the next... Your next thing is, okay, you can, if you're inherently wealthy and have time to play, drop your point, or not your point weight, probably your insert or component weight down um, if you're up at that one of those crazy 250, 300 setups for a mm-hmm. compound. Or you're going to need to drop one spine. Now, if you're already at 250 spine. Not many options. You're screwed. Yeah, you're not. I don't know that there is an option other than running a tube inside of it, is there? Uh, I don't, tubes inside don't really make that much difference. Yeah. Well, and that, I'm, I'm glad I'm asking you because this is happening right, right the now. The arrow's on the string longer. It can actually kind of act like it weakens it. People messaging me, I'm like, look, 250's all you got. There isn't too many people making a bigger than 250 spine. Well, there's a couple of 200s around. That's it. At that point, you'll cut it down immediately as short as you can, can get it. Or what I was have been suggesting, if you're stuck with that spine, shoot it through paper or shoot it bare shaft again and if you're now still tearing weak you've got to start playing with your component system so if or push the rest out well and again what ends up happening i don't know on a compound i'm just talking trad bow same thing comes to a compound don't ask me same kind of a deal but then you end up getting where you're you know with trad shooters you can't really do the, the aiming system i do when yeah, you, yeah. you start to run into where if well, you're using... cocked off to the left too far. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where trying to explain this in text yeah. is difficult. Of Now, if you're not at center shot or just inside of center on a trad bow, you're kind of shit out of luck on using your point for an aiming device. Well, you just adjust your head position a little. 
<laughs> well, that's what I, guys are asking me. This. I'm like, look, I'm learning this shit myself. I'm just telling you what I know. You you need to call Rocky Mountain because I don't know. And and then with a, a compound, some guys are so anal, they don't want to push that arrow rest out or in. You know, they want it perfect. Mm-hmm. And if you want perfection at that point, you're going to have to tune the arrow to the bow, not the bow to the arrow. Um, right. And if you've got, let's say, a hundred grain insert component system, you're going to have to start shifting that down. Meaning, you're going to, if you're running stainless, lighten the point, stiffen yep. the dynamic spine. Exactly. And so, so people under, uh, understand this. It when it comes to now, let's say you're you, you're after you're done or you skipped bear shaft uh, shooting a bear shaft, and now you're just shooting a group. And if you're shooting a group with a bear shaft and let's say whatever distance, 20, 30, 40, it doesn't matter. If you shoot your group with your fletched arrows or, or your field tips and you shoot your bear shaft and your bear shaft hits left and low significantly, what that means is your arrow is coming out of the bow. And if I say anything incorrect here, you're not hurting my feelings, is coming out of the bow, knock right and knock high. And then the point, you know, at that point now, it's driving it knock, or the point is going low and left. Um, Because, did I explain that correctly? Yeah. As a side note, when I bear shaft tune, I like a little knock high result. I don't know why. I don't know the mechanic or the physics of this completely. But on a lot of bows, if you tune it for a perfect knock and a perfect arrow, you put fletching on there and it changes. You get a little porpoise. I learned that the hard way. (laughs) I'm, and it's not You've much. You've this too then. Oh, hell yeah. Same yeah. with the compound. In fact, most guys, when I was setting up compounds, I perfectly set it slightly knock high. Yes, yes. <clears throat> so I get a knock high result. Um, I'm not worried about it yet until I see the fletched arrows and then I see it with broadheads. That's usually the result I'm looking for. Down the middle and a little knock high. And, and you, um, you know, giving people an idea, uh, a cutting off a quarter inch is, is actually fairly substantial, both on a compound and a trad bow, if you're an overly anal retentive guy with and, really good form. And uh, there, you put it on the end, if you're a really consistent shooter. That's where I'm kind of learning. Um, you know, I shoot at 40 because I got a target on the hillside. Police will probably come at one point because I'm firing them over the, 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 the road. But at 40, but what I, with the clicker and everything else, has obviously helped me with that. It is amazing that if you once you just start to play with it, meaning let's say I'm all dialed in, and you take a 200 grain point, go to 200 or 250 grain point, go to 200. You take one arrow that's 30 and go to a 30 and a half, and you can shoot good. You have good form. They're gonna you're gonna be able to tell left, right, up or down as you tweak your knock point, your point weight, everything. Mm-hmm. Your, your group's going to change. Now, in one of those different setups, and it may not always, you know, it's not mutually exclusive, there's going to be a sweet spot or a, a honey hole in there where they just seem to fall into the dot even with bad form. Um, or, you know what I mean, even with maybe a bad release, I found that Impact there's... Impact point will still be good. Will still be good. Yeah. And, and why my arrows went from 582 to 570-something... I started getting super anal and just taking eighths of an inch off my arrow. And, you know, of course, I've got four dozen of them, and I find i got to cut them all down. That was a pain in the ass. But there was just that little bit of a difference, and it was it was literally like three-sixteenths of an inch. 
maybe it's in my mind, but it just seemed to clean it up just a hair once I got that clicker on. Before the clicker, shit, I have no idea. I never was that consistent. Yeah, and that's another thing to mention. For guys like bear shafting on their own, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say half the guys that come in, well, first of all, if the guy doesn't have consistent form, don't bear shaft. Just look at fletched arrows Mm -hmm. because every little teeny thing you do shows up in a bear shaft. So, and it, it can drive you. Oh mad, yeah, you just you can't get a <laughs> you can't get a result that's going to mean anything to you. So don't don't bear shaft if you're if you're a snap shooter. It's not a don't bear shaft if you've got a you know a consistent shot. So half the guys that I'll watch them shoot first is like I want to serve them best, right? I know that bear shafting is going to. To, you know, diminish their confidence in the whole process if I bear shaft with this guy. We're going to look at fletched arrows. Mm-hmm. If I'm really confused, I'll look at a couple of bear shafts just to see, where, get, get me a starting point. But anyways, I would say half the people that I bear shaft with ends up with a partial archery lesson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're gracious enough. They're getting that for free. Probably. But yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and so it's like most of the time those hidden ones, like that shot looks pretty good, but He's like getting this funky ass result, and I don't know why. Yeah. I said, "Give me your bow," and I'll go to his draw length, and I'll shoot that thing and boop down the middle. And let's do it again. Boop. And I was like, "Okay, we gotta talk about your bow hand." Yeah. Yep. <laughs> He's got torque. He's got torque on that string. That's the biggest thing is in the grip. Man, as I'm learning through trials and tribulations of traditional archery, you'd think I'd have this shit more figured out. So. For a while there, I was hitting left when I would first get to the range, and I was convinced it was my nose. Uh, I'm, I'm leaning into the mic, my nose on the feather, okay. inaccurately. Uh-huh. And you know, it's a filming thing, and I'm because that's one thing I would think of is head position for sure. If and it's group left, driving me crazy because it's an epically perfect group, just six inches left. I mean, consistent. Well, it ended up being. So my hand would get sweaty and it would, as I would shoot and it would shift. Sliding out. It more where it should be. And so, <laughs> and, and when I'd start, it would be a little bit more of, of maybe what I, you know, I'm just not paying attention. Yeah. Um, and then as I would shoot a little bit, it'd get sweaty. And this is some crazy shit. Like I would, I couldn't have made this up. And I'm like, huh. So I make a cognizant effort now and I know where to get my hand each time. But when you first shoot, you're not really paying attention. And it's not much, but... It's enough to where I'm torquing and it's coming off that bow. And the only reason why I figured it out is I got so irritated at this and it would be like 30, 40 arrows and it would just magically zoom into the dot. And I'm like, is my head just getting more f- comfortable? What the hell's going on? And and I'm like, I can't move my nose in the feather. I'm not doing anything different. This is strange. And it was my it was my grip. Um, yeah. And and it's gone now. It doesn't happen. So, but yeah, because that's the second thing you do is get that grip perfect. Right. And, and one of the the when I say one of the problems, I need to see you every couple months because there's like this step with it's pro, a process of your shot execution that you go through. And I've always just grabbed a bow and shot, and I hardly ever pay attention to my grip. I never had to on a compound because the way it was set up. Um, but when you, when I would tune, um, you know, when I when I was kind of dissecting this or whatever, I started shooting uh, bear shafts and and things like that at closer uh, inside the garage. 
And I'm like, well, how the hell is my arrow flying bad for a little while? And then it, I'm not drawing any different. And all of a sudden now it's like straight away at five, six feet or whatever it was, probably more like 10 feet with a bear shaft. Well, 20 minutes ago, it wasn't hitting perfect. Is it my release hand or whatever? And that's how important that grip is mm-hmm. to be consistent. And, you know, this just happened like three months ago. This wasn't so <laughs> um, and, and, and on some days, on hot days, you know, going out, it would be good from the beginning. And you talk about something that screws your mind up. I'm like, what in the hell? And just from that hand, that, that grip kind of pivoting into my hand more. And that's one thing that's important to have a, a really a grip that can be is repeatable, oh, like yeah. if you'd say. Grip on the bow, like we've talked about before, my first disqualifier is grip. Yeah. I may have a great bow. I may have a great bow that's awesome. Well, modify the grip then. Yeah. Get your yeah. file out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> people are a little bit worried to do that, but um, my recommendation too is is all bo- – well, I can't say all boyers. All boyers I've talked to and dealt with, if you're worried about doing it yourself, send it back and tell them what's tell going them exactly on. exactly what you want to do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. What are you shooting for a bow now? Uh, man, I bought this uh, bear takedown about four or five years ago, new, a B riser with number three limbs. That's the long limbs on the mm-hmm. medium riser, right? Mm-hmm. It's 64 inch bow, it's 50 pounds. So I went, that night I was going to shoot with you and my string broke. Yeah. Like, we're like up my backup strings in a pack somewhere, and I, I wanted to go shoot, and I don't want to search out this spare string. And Alex, we're backed up at the shop for string orders and I don't want to take some get in front of some guy that's waiting for a string from us right so I grabbed this bear it's like huh this thing is sweet yeah (laughs) great grip snappy the new ones are they definitely improved the limb design on the new ones compared to the old ones so it's like shooting pretty much near a custom bow I started shooting at like I'm going to hunt with this this year I'm going to I'm going to finish the year with this bear takedown I'm loving this thing yeah that Chris Perino, I think is his yeah, name. Yeah, he, he shoots for 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 bear, I think, or yeah, he shoots a bear. Yeah, he's shooting the the was a fifty nine. He killed a nice bull with a that fifty nine replica, that redo of the fifty nine yeah. Kodiak. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. That's what he told me. That's what it looked like in the picture. Yeah, it is. It is because he stopped in the shop. I got to talk to that guy. Nice guy. Yeah, Good no, hunter. He's super, obviously an awesome super, hunter. Yeah, he seems like a go getter. Um, because I. I that that was the thing with the Palmer that I, I when I first started shooting that grip was super repeatable for me. Um, you know, just how my hand was. And that you know, that's huge. And so taking, you know, kind of all those things into consideration, uh, those are all extremely important. Um but if you can't if you're all effed up to begin with, the grip will be um only compounding multiple other issues. Oh, so buddy. Yeah. you know, with the with the tuning thing, um you know, if you if you come in and you've got I'll go over a compound first, you got a twenty nine inch draw and you're shooting seventy four pounds, more than most likely a three hundred spine roughly is gonna, you know, get you done with a one twenty five grain point. When you go in and you say you got a twenty nine inch draw, seventy four pounds, and you're gonna shoot a hundred grain brass insert and you're gonna put hundred and twenty five up front, you're not shooting a three hundred spine arrow shaft anymore. You can't. And when you when you bear shaft tune, you paper tune, whatever, it's going to be weak no matter what. In some cases, um, you know, on Hoyts, like with me, when I shot a Hoyt, I'd have to put left twists, twists in the left yoke no matter what I did because of how hmm. I gripped the bow um, with a prime. So that's tuning that bow to you then. Yeah. Ex- something that's 
common. Yep, yep. Because can, of how you shoot. Yeah. Yep. And then, like with a prime, I didn't have to do that. But with some guys, you'll have to uh, change the pressure on the roller guard, and then you may have to shift over the the entire cam system and uh, potentially take shims out of the right side, shift it over, or the left side, and shift it over to the left. Um, oh, it's way too much to think about for me. That's a lot to think about. Um, <laughs> well, and the, the there's sometimes you're just not going to get a boat to tune. Oh, I've seen Chris and Matt do that stuff in the shop, and it's like, oh, I don't even want to try to learn that. Well, and generally, if it won't tune, not, and not all the time, a lot of time the, your hand is not um, working in continuity with that grip, and it may never. Um, and you may have to just, even though that may be the latest, greatest, coolest bow that everyone's shooting, it's just it's not, not a fit for you. For you, and it's no yeah. different with a stick. Just like the bow. recurves that we shoot and try. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. So, you know, when you're looking at that, um, you got to drop at least a spine uh, in, in a chart. You're going to have to go down to a 250 spine. And at that point, you know, there's going to be some parameters, f- probably like traditional and compound. Where is your speed limit? What is your lower end of the speed limit you want to hit? With a stick bow guy, it may not be a speed limit. It may be a point on limit, like with me. I like to be at 40. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there just may be too much cast or arch or your whatever you want to call it. You know, if it's a stick bow guy with a compound guy, because of the way the industry's been, there's a speed freak thing going on. And, it, you know, you're just not in the cool club if you're shooting 255 feet per second. But you're going to have to give that kind of info to your pro shop for them to have any idea of what they're doing. And a lot of pro shops are not, I don't know what you call it, equipped to handle heavy point weight and heavy insert weight. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when you know, when you got a compound guy and I'm telling him to go to Rocky Mountain or Three Rivers to to buy parts, pieces, and components, you've gone past the skill set of some archery shops because they're not used to it. Yeah, just don't live there. And and the reason why you guys know is because you traditional archery and it transfers over. Um, Yeah, and plus we're in an elk state. Yeah. You know, I was talking about 500 grain of marrow minimum. That's elk. I'm yeah. talking about elk. Yeah. You know, not nothing like that is needed for a deer. Yeah. No, you're you're right. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with shooting that for deer. You certainly don't have to have two setups. I will say a, a cracked out whitetail, um, you know, if you can keep your bow quiet, you may want a little bit faster because they do matrix on you pretty, pretty bad. And, and if you're going to blow through it at 65 pounds and a 450 grain arrow, so be it. Shoot that rather yeah. than 75 and a 550 grain arrow. Um, but, the, you know, the key for me is is good arrow flight is is trumps everything. Um, and, and, you trumps know. Trumps everything. Absolutely. Super sharp cut on contact broadhead. And, and you know, the, the Ashby thing like you talked about, um, you know, in all his different steps, uh, good components, arrow flight, cut on contact broadhead. I mean, the actual FOC wasn't. I think that was like number ten or something. I can't remember. It wasn't up high on the list. It was it was pretty high, but it wasn't number one. Yeah. Number one was absolute arrow flight. Yeah. And so, you know, all things being equal, if I had perfect arrow flight every time, yeah, the FOC it works. You and I've seen it. Oh yeah. It definitely works. But there's another factor in there with wind. Yeah. And so I, I really like that talk with you and Broderick. I thought that was just great. Just another thought in the whole process. Something to consider for sure. Well, and I think to the mm, dissecting, there's a huge difference between when I say I like a lot of point weight up front. When I say I like a lot of point weight up front, that is 
really the bare minimum to the followers of Ashby. Um, there is mm-hmm. extreme FOC, and then there's what a compound guy would consider quite a bit of point weight. I'm at that 175 up front on a compound. You know, that's usually where I was at, 125 grain point, 50 grain at brass insert, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of point weight for a compound guy. I yeah. mean, taboo yeah. point weight for a while, where that's a bare minimum anymore for a stick bow, 175 up front. Usually that's kind of a starting yeah. point. It, people ask me for recommendations of like that, at least 500 grains and 200. I'm talking about elk and 200 or more. Up front, I yeah. like that. I like to set that as a minimum. And then if you can shoot heavier because you're a bigger guy, more draw length, more bow weight, great. Yeah. But there is a limit. I mean, you guys, you know, the guys that say I shoot 650 or 750 grains, virtually all those guys are always shooting inside 20. Yeah. That say that's where they live. And they kill a lot of stuff. And they're great hunters. But uh, man, I just, I'm just not, I, I have the ability to shoot longer and I, I'll put that in my game. I mean, I worked hard to be able to shoot longer. Yeah. Um, but 750 grains ain't going to cut it for me, and I don't need it. I just say that was my problem is I have no doubt, you know, with all the crazy messages I get from um, – I get some pretty, pretty wild ones. I'm going to actually pause this because I need to pee, but we'll leave <laughs> it on the uh, – we'll start back up on the crazy messages I get about okay. extreme front of center and the, the cult. <laughs> All right, we're we're back. I'd take a potty break. Going kind of um, in the uh, the idea or whatever, like where I was talking about, I get these different messages, and uh, you know, I definitely bounce off like with you and your boys and all the different info you've given me of of guys. Really, they it's almost like you've made fun of their religion or you're questioning their religion or we were just talking about religion and politics or their political views. They get that irate over certain certain things where I you know I'll just they'll uh they'll get I mean like super irate pissed off and message me like with Broderick there's no way he's biased there's no way what he said is correct or whatever and it's like well he's got it on video I mean you can't lie with video like it didn't work for him and and I for one am more of an evenly weighted semi heavy arrow tip proportionate type of a, a setup i don't i'm not a big fan of a six and a half grain per inch arrow and 350 grains up front or 300 and i'm only saying that because i've had good success both with compound and traditional uh-huh. with you know this setup and i don't really and and you're just and you noticed in your practice sessions you were highly subject to wind oh and poor arrow flight yeah whereas your your buddy broderick he learned that by experience yep with lack of penetration yep in the field experience on animals where he had the whole setup was awesome, but he lost arrow flight with side wind and, and lost animals due to lack of penetration. Yeah. And for me, it only took a couple of times shooting in the wind where I didn't want to. So they, you know, they would come back, well, Hey, you need to shoot shorter veins and you don't need that much to steer it. And it all makes sense. And I agree with it, but I came, you know, my thing is, yeah, but why? I'm I'm already blowing through animals with a 580 grain arrow, and I've made bad shots that still and they, they make penetration. A good, they make a good point with those little feathers and stuff. It does the job. What about rainstorm? Yeah, yeah, and 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 people would come back and say, "Well, you can dip it in a bucket and whatever." And and my thing is, why would I switch? <laughs> Like, yeah. Like, and that's what I was trying to get a point to. I'm like, guys, I'm not arguing with what you're saying, but why 
I'm not going to convince you. I'm not going to try to convert you to Toyota if you own a Ford or, or whatever. Like if you're happy with the Ford and you've been driving for 20 years, I might say, Hey, I drive the Toyota and it's got this thing or whatever. I mean, there's pros and cons to everything, but I just ask them to consider it. You know, I appreciate skepticism. I'm a skeptical guy. I, I like to, you know, think things way deeper than they should be probably. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I ask people to do that when I'm giving an archery lesson, like be skeptical. Any instruction you get, be skeptical. If this does not make common sense to you, then you're not going to do it and you won't get a benefit from it. Right. And plus I have an opportunity then to explain, you know, maybe I did a poor job of expressing what I think is really the best way to do, do your business. Right. And I'll get a chance to talk to them about that. But with that skepticism, just uh, listen to some other people who's got some experience in, yeah. in the field taking a lot of animals. It's it's probably worthwhile data. I'm all ears with my customer my shop. I'm learning a lot from everybody's hunting experience. Luckily for me, I get questions and what, you know what I mean? I get to hear a lot of people's stories and questions they have, and, and it, it will spark up something in my brain where I'm like, eh, I really didn't think of that at the time, but that's a good point, I, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, so I, I, th I think that... Um, the I'm glad they you know the tradition not the traditional the compound world maybe kind of catering a little more towards heavier arrows than lighter yeah, ones. They're, they're, they're learning definitely yeah. big swing towards it and more success because of it. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and I, I had guys uh, not a lot. Think about this: five or six guys this year that were mechanical guys and went to uh, a couple of them went to cutthroats, a couple of them went to iron wheels, and one of them shot a different broadhead. And I can't remember what it was, but fixed blades. Um, and we're just amazed at the the penetration they got on an elk, and they you know they'd shot a couple elk before in or the last. Or gotten season. elk they they wouldn't have otherwise. Or buddy Robert Wood, he he shot a bull elk. I was with him on this trip, and the thing spun as he's just as he's getting through his trigger, right, mm -hmm. and hits it in the pelvis. Well, that 150 grain cutthroat went through the pelvis and up into the thoracic cavity, and he got that elk. Yeah. There's no way virtually any other kind of broadhead other than a – I'm not saying just a cutthroat, but a fixed, tough – a really tough fixed head would have got him that elk. Yeah. And, and I and I agree. And I it, it allows me compound or – well, not so much traditional but compound. Um, you know, people ask, why do you shoot heavy poundage? And I, and I would reply kind of chuckling, I'm unethical. Because um, you can. But, well, and I can, I can Trust shoot – Trust me, if I could shoot 60 pounds instead of 52, I would. Well, and that's the thing is if I have a shot that um, a different setup might not blow through, I, I, am, I have good confidence. There's not a whole lot of um, what I'm, I'm not going to make it through. And in some cases, like with whitetails, I high shoulder shoot them because I don't want them to jump the fence, especially if I'm skirting pretty close to a property that I can't get on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing Ashby was saying with his setup. You know, he shot like an 800 grain arrow or something, but um, – you can high shoulder shoot with a 600 grain arrow, 80 pounds or whatever. It's like a rifle drops them. I mean, you don't have any issue. I'm not suggesting for, I mean, that's a specific setup, but, or, you know, kind of the frontal cornering too, a little bit, you know, inside of 20 yards, you know, um, the one guy this year was shooting a 580 grain in it with a cutthroat and, uh, he shot at corner and two barely kind of split that, that gap. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was poking out the butt cheek on the other end, um, on an elk, and this wasn't, this was a 70 pound bow. It wasn't a super high poundage bow, but uh, I mean, a, a, an average setup, I would say in, in North America is probably 65, 70 pounds. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he do you called. Have draw, do you have draw length too? It's a bigger nah, guy. 28 inch. Not, oh, nice. No. And he, he, dude, he messaged me 
on the mountain. You got a minute? And I'm like, yeah, man, give me a call. I was actually glassing up high and he's, he gave me the story. He was like, man, he goes, my air was pointing out the butt, poking out the butt cheek. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, guy, and he had shot uh, Spitfires. uh, It's a mechanical from NAP for, for years and uh, had a great job, but he was always worried about different shots like that. And he's like, man, I don't know if I'd always take this shot. He was like, it's just amazing what those arrows will do with that much momentum behind them. And, and I kind of pounded that into everybody's head enough. Um, that next uh, kind of question or whatever, you know, guys were asking me, um, you know, aiming systems, and we've we've talked about this a ton. Point on, you know, string walking, uh, mm-hmm. fixed crawl or face walking. I mean, kind of talk just a little bit about like sure. what you do, and then what you think. Uh, like, what are the best for hunting? You know, not target for hunting okay. situations. Kind of pros and cons because I, I saw a guy string walk and watch the animal walk off as he was counting the inches down and thought that is the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life yeah. personally. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I have some opinions about that. And it's kind of like, uh, like the broadhead talk and the arrow weight talk. There's gives and takes, you know, there's a give with extreme weight forward, but there's a take maybe in a little sideways situation. So aiming methods, I think it's the same thing. So, you know, if we were to break it down into th- three most common, probably be a guy that's what we call an instinctive aimer. He looks at a spot and then there's a guy that gaps, right? And then there's a guy who may have a fixed crawl, like uh, Buddy Matt to push. He's got some excellent information on that push podcast about the fixed crawl. They had a whole video about it, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, he just does an yeah. awesome job. Best teacher on that aiming method I've ever seen. But uh, so out west here, we don't know what kind of terrain we're dealing with and we don't know what kind of range we're going to be. And we're in, we're in terrain where it's really difficult to estimate range. Um. So I am really fortunate that I'm one of the guys that can look at a spot at varying unknown distances and hit it by simply looking at it as an instinctive aimer. Now, now you've never really tried any of the other ones though, right? I too, have developed too much. a point on. Okay. And I've added that tool to my tool belt. Why wouldn't I? So I know what my point on is. So if I have a known range, for instance, that this bear I'm shooting, my point on is 45 yards. If I know that it's 45 yards, I can put that – I can run that point to the, the – well, usually I do it off the kind of the insert because broadheads are different length than yeah. points. So I run it insert up there. Then I'll look at the spot I want to hit and then I'll come through my shot to finish, right? And I can plunk them in there. And if it's – if I know it's 40, I just hold bottom of the chest on, say, a 3D target. Or if I know it's 50, I'm going to hold just over the back. And I can plunk them in there. Now, if I don't know – I'm I'm usually going to instinctively, not that I take that shot in, in a hunting situation, but um, so for me personally, I because, and this is not something I earned, you're kind of born with, your brain just kind of sees that spatial relationship and that trajectory path or not. Look at Paul Gustafson, probably the best shot execution of us all, not an instinctive aimer. It doesn't work for him. And he was a good baseball player, so he's got great hand-eye coordination. Yep. He has to aim off that arrow or that riser or whatever how he's doing it so anywho out western hunter elk country uphills downhills cross gullies whatever we have to deal with that serves me extremely well and so when i'm well practiced i can look at something 35 40 yards away and plunk it in there it's definitely in a kill area many guys in my generation quit archery because they just can't ever shoot well quote instinctive aiming and so that's not my first go-to when i'm teaching 
a new guy in traditional archery. I'm going to have him in a little higher anchor. I'm probably going to have him three under. I'm going to have him have an improved sight picture because the arrow is going to be in their sight picture where they can actually use it. If they show an ability to just match up with where their arm point and what they're looking at, yeah, I'm going to introduce instinctive aiming right away. But I want them to be successful quickly. And I want them – it's because, you know, if you're – if your mind isn't matching, it takes a lot of arrows to get to be a good instinctive aimer. You know, even if you have born with that ability, it still takes a heck of a lot of arrows at varying distances to be able to do that, for your mind to see that. But if you're aiming with a method, you've got a single pin sight out there using the arrow, you can be successful right away. As soon as you get your form consistent, you can be a pretty good shot pretty dang quickly. I would say some people may never, like some people are good athletes and some people just suck at will never be a good athlete. I think some people may not ever be capable of being a great instinctive shooter. Yeah. Yes, and some are. And 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 like with Paul's situation, it had nothing to do with the athletic ability. And shooting a bow, because it's always a process we can put your body into, you don't have to be a great athlete to be a great archer. And so that, that ability to look at something, just like a guy that can shoot a free throw nine out of ten times. Not everybody can do that. It's because their mind just doesn't see that. But uh, so instinctive aim is not my fallback anymore. It used to be because mm-hmm. that's all we knew. And, and kind of, if you used the arrow, you were something kind of diminished about you, you know. Yeah. It just was a terrible way to look at things. No, we want to be successful. We want to be able to put an arrow where we want it. So I think a point of aim system of some kind is absolutely a great way to start. It may be the way you finish. Now, Walk string walking. A string walker wants to put the point on what he wants to hit every time. So he's adjusting the pitch of the arrow by placing his fingers on the string differently. But if that's the only way he can shoot well, then that's the way he should be shooting. That makes sense. If he can't see a gap or maintain a gap or he doesn't learn to do that yet, it's mostly learning to do it, honestly. He doesn't know that all he's got to do is establish his gap and look at his focal point, look at what he wants to hit. He's probably too fixed on the point. And so he just hasn't learned the ability to watch a focal point and let his subconscious maintain that gap. Something, something to do with that, typically. The, one of the biggest downsides that, well, I can't say for aero flight or whatever else. I tried it a little bit, but it, obviously it's it, you, you potentially can have crappy aero flight from string walking because obviously your hand's going far away from the knock That's point. a big weakness to that system with there a string walker time you know obviously the the time it can take can can be a little bit detrimental you don't always have that you're going to lose one once in a while because of that you didn't really teach you didn't really sway me one way or another you just showed me the options you showed me split finger i naturally went to three in fact i was shooting three under with a split finger tab because it in the midst of you teaching me i'm like yeah i just like yeah, the three, sight picture was better for you. It, everything came together there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to experiment a little bit. Uh, so let's take though. Let's take old Zernzak, Eastern Whitetail Hunter, and those guys out there. They're my buddies out there. They usually got a 15, 20 yard shot. Mm-hmm. That fixed crawl method is awesome. Yeah. Because you can pick your point on range, and they shoot a lot of ILF rigs, where they can have a fixed riser bow tiller to what they like or tillered for a, a crawl so to speak or, you almost have to don't you to get yeah if it's a big crawl you have yeah, to yeah you okay. just have to because you're going to and depends on the length of the bow and you know and how it's tillered and all that stuff but anyway they can fix you know like matt he'll 
in, in his IBO terms, fix up a 25-yard fixed crawl. Well, he's shooting a fast rig on targets. He's just holding top of the 10 ring, bottom of the 10 ring yeah. for those 18 to 33-yard shots they have in an IBO tournament. Which That's I, a perfect I believe aiming I method. probably get my ass kicked at those because um, I can't shoot close up and uh, not what not well enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and well, it's because you don't spend enough time there. I, I, I did, I did towards season, thank God. Um, but the um, if I was to start shooting tournaments, I would have to say probably my views would change on some of this stuff. I don't think I would probably start to do like um, string walking, mm-hmm. but I, I certainly think that um, I would probably change one the speed of my. My bow, mm-hmm. and, and I would probably get my point on at uh, let's say twenty five. Yeah, way closer. Yeah, right? yeah. It would serve you b- better in that venue. So here we're talking again about the gives and takes. Yeah. If it, Matt's got, he'll set up a fixed crawl at twenty for his whitetails. That's smoking good way to aim. It's highly precise. We, as an instinctive aimer, we won't beat those guys mm-hmm. on known distances. Now, give us a little tougher terrain. Set up a three D tournament from eight yards to 40 yards and shooting over gaps and over hills and up and down, eh, we're going to be pretty competitive with them. Right. You know, if, where it's hard to estimate range. That's where now there's the give to us. Those flat ground 18 to 33-yard tournaments, no, you're not going to beat those those guys that can set up a fixed crawl or even string walk or use a very, very precise aiming method where range estimation is easier. Yeah. And so for a whitetail hunter, that's a smoking good way to, to set up and aim. It's really, really accurate. It feels like when I've done it, it feels e- it does it is easy. You've got you've got a reminder that if you're an instinctive aimer, as you know now, it's really if you don't remember to fo- narrow your focus and just keep it soft but look at that spot, you're gonna hit that spot. Yeah, and that's a fact. If you've got an arrow <laughs> out there. It's telling, oh, yeah, i got to do something with it, Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, I've got to find a gap or put it on the target or whatever I'm going to – it's a single pin sight out there. Yeah. It's going to – it's a reminder. Yeah, i can got to use that thing. Yeah. So, no, I'm not crusty about how a guy needs to do his business to be effective. Not at all. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, – There's just it, gives and takes depending – yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's so situational. It meaning, is so situational. Uh, one and thing. It, it, it's situational depend on just what God gave you as talent. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'm short, so I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't hit the lottery of a physical presence, but I hit the lottery with being able to instinctive aim. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, for, for sure. And I mean, it's, I'm sure as many people as you coach within a few lessons or maybe one lesson, you can probably see which direction you should yeah. steer somebody. Absolutely. I, I found one thing good with me is um, I've already started getting ready for whitetail because we got a good Oklahoma tag and, nice. and uh, Alabama. And Anyway, at 20, I just aim at their feet. <laughs> Guaranteed. <Really? laughs> yeah. And uh, and it does, see, an other guy that would drive you them nuts, it doesn't bother you. No, and I've, I mean, shooting seven pins on a compound with a dial okay. and all that, you know yeah. what I mean? I'm used to clutter. I didn't gotcha. bug me at all. And gotcha. the, the, the one thing I will say is I started practicing shooting, um, you know, grouse at 20, um, where I don't have a foot and, and it's, it's transferred over so much from practicing so much. I'm still whacking grouse at 20 nice. to where that sight picture is kind of ingrained in my mind. Yeah. And it's just a quick glance. Now, the good thing about a tree stand, obviously, is, 
if I can just glance down, make sure I'm good, make sure the site picture is good. It's still some clutter, um, and we'll see how it goes. But compared to last year when I stole your bow, went to Alabama, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. It was a miracle I killed one because um, <laughs> I just wasn't that comfortable. And I remember shooting from a tree stand down there, and the, the, the deer was at 21 yards or something. And, and I'd have a couple in the 10, couple in the 8, one in the spine, and I just wasn't as comfortable. Well, now – you know, I'm in a Copenhagen lid at that distance or smaller because nice. I, I know where to aim. And, and after 30, 32, I'm, I'm starting to sway more towards my point. And it's not like this is a perfect system what I'm doing anyway. But like you said, the way that my brain works, this has worked better. Who knows? In 10 years, it may be, I may change. It may be different. I know if I wanted to go you know, kick ass at an IBO tournament, I'd, I'd probably be shooting, you know, probably more like 650 grain arrow uh, with a, you know, maybe 25 yard point on and in uh, memorizing that, I guess. It's just the tournament stuff for me is kind of secondary um, yeah. than, than hunting. So I don't, I don't, I don't think I would probably ever get into it enough anymore to where I would change my setup. I'd probably just go shoot my hunting bow and hope for the best. But guys get addicted. That Matt shoots a ton. That both Tim and Matt shoot mm-hmm. a ton, don't they? Yeah, and and Matt pretty soon, you know, as soon as he kills a deer and the season's over, he'll totally convert to a target rig. Yeah, and totally convert for what he's how he's doing his business, which I, after season I'm going to do the same thing. I'd like to compete a little bit with those guys. Um, I'm limited a little bit with how far I can turn my head left, so it's really hard for me to get a string blur or to get my head turned enough without scraping the hell out of my face with the alignment, or it makes me shorten up my anchor and the way the length of my my arm bones and that makes it hard for me to anchor short and have body alignment. So to get a sweet holding position where I'm sitting on my skeletal structure instead of muscular tension. Mm-hmm. So I have some challenges there I've got to try to overcome but to develop a true aiming method at short range like that. But, um, you know, that's fun to me. I geek out on learning as much in different avenues about this stuff as I can. Well, that's the thing too, I think for – me is we're hunting well all the way through february and then we have a break and then we'll hunt turkeys in april and then uh, we're hunting out dad and black bear in may and there's not, not, off, a, not a chance to get off your hunting rig yeah. no and and yeah. i've gotten good enough i've shot some pretty ridiculous scores with the hunting rig but as you know i've also blanked some freaking 20 yard targets because i don't practice a 20 enough and yeah it's always my chance with you yeah <laughs> i shoot i mean so i don't, get to the 40 yard targets and then but, i'm toast well i i think but i'm I working on it buddy i'm coming for you <laughs> i should i can't remember because i only shot the first half of the league and then scouting started but on that league i shot pretty i mean i was happy with i shot how i shot on that league um mm-hmm. And I think I ended up winning by a, a fairly substantial amount of points. And what was depressing, if you followed my score to my high scores and my low scores, you know, even through a 40 target course, my, you know, depressing to say, my shitty shots are 17 to 23. Oh, so, you know, well, that's another thing. Those scores are all very high and low because we set up that course different. And and I got to confess, I knew you were coming that day. I knew I was going to shoot you. <laughs> and I set up a nice number of that 17 to 23-yard shots. Well, well <laughs> I think I shot – there was one – of course, I shot a three seventy something out of four hundred. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And uh, the thing was, there was, there's a lot of long shots. We don't set those up easy. 
So on a on an IBO course, that's maybe good, right? But on our course, that's damn good. Well, and I mean that the average shot for that course was thirty one yards. That's that's for me. Yeah. That's what I want, and that's yeah. It's different yeah. for for me in the sense of of. Um, because of my aiming style and what I practice at, and I'm not diligent enough, I don't hardly ever shoot 20. I started towards season because I'm like, man, I blank a 20-yard shot on a deer because I'm a dipshit. I'm going to be pissed. So I started practicing a lot more 20. But, like, uh, you know, that it's it's kind of um, a lesson to be learned, I guess, for different people and different, you know. I suspect, and tell me if I'm totally off base, but I suspect you're going to morph into a completely instinctive aimer to about 35. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. To the point where you're not going to be able to tell me, like we were chatting before we got on here, that you noticed the arrow point in the dirt somewhere. Yeah, no, and I hope so because this year was a good example. That first deer I missed is yeah. I glanced up, glanced down, glanced up, having that dirt in the way. That's tough to do, man. You know, it screwed me up mentally because I was aiming yeah. at the dirt. You know, would I have hit it or what? I mean. Because you have the ability. You, you've got to, you're born with that. To, to be a good instinctive aimer. Well, I shot that deer instinctively, um, nice. the buck I killed, because I just did. You can look on the video. And that was a poke too, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you can look on the video. I reached back to grab my rangefinder, and I thought, I don't have enough time, and went right back to my string and, sm- and pinwheeled it on, in a fairly nice. far shot. Um, See, that's, what, that's what I mean. That ability is there. And I think where, where it'll, what it'll come to is um, – you know, the the Alberta buck type of a thing to where, you know, I get within 40, 45, and I just can't get any closer. And um, everything, you know, even though I get bashed for this because it's far shot, everything's in, it. you know, the situation is right. I'll take that shot. Well, first um, of all, you're a really good range estimator, uncannily good at that. And when you're talking about a target in that 40, 45 range, you can plunk them in there. Well, I remember you're not an unethical shot. Tom, Tommy never seen me shoot, and we were bear camp. He was laughing, and he, he, and I was, you know, wadding him in like maybe a softball at forty with a bear shaft and broadheads and field tips, and. Oh yeah, he came back after that trip, and he's like, he was blown away. It's like you should see Aaron shoot. I said, I know. Well, and I was, you know, and I wasn't. Uh, well, I'm sure this will come off. I, mean, I wasn't shooting anything like I can shoot now. Um, nice. <laughs> it just because it's clicker. You know, I, I had just got that clicker on and got comfortable with it, and and I, yeah. I've perfected it. But there's still flaws. I missed three shots I should have hit. You know, because speed. Right. One of them when you're rushed. Mm-hmm. No matter what, no one's going to ever convince me that a. You know, and this is coming from a guy that uses his point, that uh, it still mm-hmm. takes time. You got to look at the point. And so be, having a little bit more of a rushed shot. And then, of course, the one, the first shot was a good uh, example. Um, I had that mound probably at 22 yards or something. Mm-hmm. The deer was maybe 10 yards past that. 32, which for me is a is my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. The problem is the hunting god took my wheelhouse away by putting a mound of dirt yeah. in front of the, the legs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe an inch or two of the body was covered or I can't remember exactly, but it's pretty right. much I could see the entire body. But I draw back when it walks out and I look and I look at my point and it's three feet into the dirt or something. Yeah. And wigged you out. I look up and I'm like. Whereas ah, you have the total ability if you just freak. I should have just shot it. Just to look at where you want to hit and mm-hmm. just muck it. Mm. And I should have. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and again, like uh, situational or whatever, you know, it's coming down rock cliff, 45 degree slope, three giant bu- or two giant bucks, one decent buck bedded there. 
lot going on in your brain. You know, there's a lot of, of uh, things going on. And by no means, I mean, I went to the clicker. I did everything right. And, uh, you know, except for the fact that being honest, having that dirt there. And, and you know, I'm glancing. It's a giant distraction in the middle of, you know, trying to do your business there at the end of the make a great shot. Yeah, snow's coming Under in. pressure. Like, you talk about perfect, like, epic shit going on. I mean, nice. three deer bedded on a bench, timber in front of them, you know, patch of, of uh, jack pines in front of them, cliffs above I come off of. You couldn't have designed a more perfect mule deer situation. When I come out of the call it an avalanche, but it's really just this giant crevice. When I come out of the crevice, the first, you know, I'm in my socks and I'm like, oh, they can't see me when I first came out. And I'm, that was the big variable. Or and I get to the next dip and I'm like, man, I'm going to be in their pocket soon. And again, going back, I'm ranging trees, right, that they're bedded in front of. So I know the distance and I'm counting my steps where in reality – probably would have been easier for me to just walk because I can range well enough to just walk up and shoot them to where <laughs> I was ranging. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and again, I try to be as honest with this stuff as I can. So listeners can learn. I probably should just walked up and shot it. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm a good instinctive shooter. I can do right. very well. And you at just it. stayed. So let me geek out a little here. And this will kind of talk about the mental part of the game. So, you know, good shooters have a process. Basically, there's a lot of self-talk, but basically there's certain parts of your shot that you go to mentally and you transition from that part of the shot to the next. So, so there's like, for me, there's like four things. I do this, I do this, I do this and bam to finish position. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the way all my good shots run. Do this and then I do this and I do this and finish that shot. Right. Yep. But you got out of your sequence. Mm-hmm. So when, yeah, in did. fact, when, you, when your timing, <laughs> that timing should stay in there. When you f- flash out, I'm stealing that term from Chris at the shop. I love that term. When your mind flashes off of that, do this, do this, and it flashes out, it's really hard to gather up and finish that shot correctly. So you do this, you do this, and then that freaking arrow's in that hump. Yeah. You had a total flash out. Yep. Oh, yeah. And it right? was funny because in my mind. You couldn't get your timing then? You couldn't. You couldn't finish the shot in a normal sequence of events. Yeah. Oh, and in my mind, I'm knowing that's happened. Like the moment that I looked and my arrow was in the dirt and I immediately was like, oh, so look right in the side picture. And I look down and look right. And it's because it's walking out because it saw my head movement when I popped up to where in in reality, if I would have walked down, it's not that difficult for me instinctively at 30 to 32 because everything is in the same sight picture for me. My, my, my broadhead is actually just under the armpit, mm-hmm. right? Sight pictures all good. It's all where I should have just popped up and let her rip. It would have been one f- fluid movement, you know, one, one, yeah. one. And it wouldn't have had to been rushed. You'd have been still on that same timing. Right? Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't have flashed out of your sequence. Yep. You wouldn't have been distracted by that dang arrow tip. And it might have helped because um, I generally shoot low instinctively. Um, hell, that might have helped because the deer dropped. It might have <laughs> dropped into the arrow some. Um, you know, being, you know, there's a lot of luck involved in, in bow hunting. So, yeah. I, and it, again, like you asked me, did I, I can't remember you put it, was I mad at the stick bow or did I miss the compound or whatever? Mm-hmm. And and there were certainly times where I thought you deer would all be in deep, deep shit if I had a compound in my hand. I, I definitely thought that, but it... I kind of just took it in stride. That made me so smile, much. by the way, because, you know, 
get a guy to make a transition and you hear this a lot, man, if I'd had my compound, and I, God, I, I, I always just go, uh, you know, yeah. it's like, no, that's that mindset is, uh, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I think a guy gets past that at a certain point. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Because you I'm, got, this is what you're hunting with. This is what you got to get done. And I'm to the point where I'm getting past it because I'm thinking it, but it's not making me mad. And, and it's more yeah. of a like, a, yeah. oh, you would be in trouble if I had <laughs> yeah, to come. Yeah. But, you know, and, you didn't and, have that. That's the difference between two years ago. I was angry two years ago. Yeah. Like I was I was truly angry where now it's more of a learning thing. And, and occasionally like, you know, with that wide buck. I that, totally accept the limitations of this boat you're shooting. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. But you get advantages from the thing too, right? Sometimes, yeah, definitely. Inside your effective range, there's great advantages to a recurve. Yeah. It's a better and hunting tool it's in just, a lot of cases. It's cooler too. I will say it's more, what's the word? Um, I probably won't come up with it, but there is something about being able to take, and I'm still using some modern stuff obviously, but it's something about being able to take that bow and, and put an animal It'd down be, with it. Heck yeah, there and, is. And, it, and <laughs> it's, it's a higher level. I'm sorry. I don't want to be arrogant, but it is a higher level of accomplishment, therefore a higher level of satisfaction. Oh, yeah. Well, the one group of bucks I snuck in, um, Wesley and Omni, the guys I'd run into back there were watching. They were like, dude, you're getting in tight. And I'm like, tight for you guys, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I'm not tight <laughs> enough. And, and you learn too, like – you see me now on a stock, uh, you'll see me sit for 30 minutes. If, if I don't think things are right, I'll be 40 yards from the deer, 50 yards from the deer. Sit I'll, it out. I'll huh? just hang up. Yeah, I'll just hang out, just nice. wait. Because I know now where with a compound, you, you, you get away with a little more. So, you you know, if the deer don't know you're there, they're not going to just get up and leave generally, especially if you're after, after their second bed or whatever where they're really planted. You've got a lot of time, a lot more time than I ever realized. And so a lot of those stocks would take a long time because at 100, I might wait because there's willows and I'm dropping boots and then I'm rolling up pants or, or mm -hmm. I only took my pants off once. I didn't want South to make fun of me. But <laughs> ro you're rolling up pants, um, you know, things like that or whatever where you're you're or you're just picking apart to make sure there's not another buck that you've missed. You know, you're really mm -hmm. picking apart where they're at and – the one group of bucks, which was probably the most incredible stock I made that I didn't kill anything, I think there was eight bucks. Well, there happened to be nine because that's what fucked it up. The, <laughs> there was a three-by-three three that was right beside me. But I got in so tight and I was so quiet, 15, 18 yards away, there was a kind of what you'd call a cool buck, you know, an older three-by-three three that bedded above the group. I was 15, 18 yards beside him, snuck right in. I didn't, I didn't nice. know he was there. And um, – that's some good hunting. You know, well within 30, uh, 32 of the entire group in these willows, and I just took my time. Now, I have no doubt that the biggest buck of that group, which was, you know, it, it had three digits, and one of them was probably a two in the beginning. If that three-by-three three wasn't there, I probably would have killed that buck or had a very legit shot. What killed me is after taking all that time, when I stood up to to – go a little bit closer that three by three heard me stand up because he was 15 and he stood up and looked at me and he literally stood there i mean i could have killed him he looked at me like <laughs> what the hell are you and how'd you get here and he stood there for probably 10 15 seconds and I, all i was thinking in my mind is one i should probably kill you out of frustration and two this is going to really throw a monkey wrench in some <laughs> shit because these deer are so close and again learning that buck blew out 
and I tried to rush closer because I was worried about the other bucks. I get to the other bucks. They haven't even moved. They just, oh, my buddy ran off. They didn't. I couldn't believe it. They were still all just chilling, <laughs> you know, and you can't ever see the future. But it was like, you know, I got in there and I was like, you know, I probably should have not rushed in there after that buck blew out. But it's hard to calculate everything, you know. You probably knew kind of you had these skills, but you never kind of got to learn it or yeah, not when it. you're poking them at 80. No. Yeah, because you're always <laughs> killing them for first, right? Oh, yeah. And I'm not a very good um, – I mean, I can be still hunter when there, I don't know there's anything there. Alberta, you know a deer went in there. So mm-hmm. the way my brain works, I'm a great still hunter when I know a buck dropped in <laughs> that there. That will give you patience, yeah. But, man, when I'm still hunting the still hunt, it looks like everybody else but about four times faster. <laughs> I And so – That's some boring work right there. That's but, some hard work. Oh, yeah, but like – that way. You know, I, I try to come, you know, talking to guys and to give an example. One of the stocks I went on where I, I talk about like, a, what do you call imperceivable movements? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I low crawl up, we call it the S, this drainage, and there's a bucket 18 yards, you know, three and a half year old, three by three, 26 yards off the edge. And I was like, man, where the hell did you come from? You weren't, I was just above them and marked them all somehow miss this deer so i i come to that s and i'm like shit where'd you come from and then i didn't want to kill it and then i'm like well okay so i go all the way to the top of the s and of course that deer who's the pain in the ass seems to be all of these young dumb ones he's fucking around eating and move and i'm like man you really need to lay down for this to pan out and and again waiting this took four hours so now i'm above him well it took longer than that but four hours of me from the s on now I'm above them. That little pecker would finally lays down. So I take my boots off and because I lose my boots all the time, put them on top of the tree so I can find them. And then I get 60 yards closer and I've rolled up my pants now about to the bottom. It's as far as I can roll them up because the willows are loud. That lasted another 30 yards and those pants came off and they're laying in the leaves now in the trees. And now I'm in my undies sitting there glass and when I had a compound, I would have just walked in there and shot at something or tried. You didn't need to have that type of patience to where now, I i mean, it, it has to come out or you just won't ever kill anything. <laughs> it, and that is cool. I'm sorry. That's, yeah. some, that's some hunting right there, man. Yeah, I, I was pretty happy with um, the way the season went. In fact, I, I should have text, I texted Danny. He said, how are things going? I said, well, I've got a couple misses, and I hit one in the leg, and my hands are covered in acne because of that. And I said, other than that, great. I think he initially thought I was, like, having, like, crisis moments. And, and then I called him later, and I said, no, dude, I'm making good shots. It's just not easy. These deer are not – the bucks pushed out of where their happy bedding was, and they pushed into the timber, and it wasn't cliff shots. It was very – very much different and uh and it was cool the way i killed the last one and i had frank there and uh, it was a cliff shot it was a stock that i honestly thought i walked a mile and a half for no reason i didn't ever think i would be able to pull it off and when you watch it especially the full video in the middle of the stock i ended up just sitting down which i never would do with a compound and put my bow in my lap and just took a break one my legs were tired and two i thought before i do anything totally stupid 
I should probably just take five and really <laughs> get my shit together because the wind was so good blowing up. I didn't have anything to worry about. Um, and it was probably a good thing I, you know, I, I did do that or, or um, you know, I may have made a mistake or, or come around a corner I shouldn't have where they would, you know, see. And, and the, the stick bow has definitely done all that for me. It's made me way more patient. <laughs> and, it, and it's just not easy. The difference between a three-and-a-half-year-old deer and a four-and-a-half-year-old deer is – it's pretty easy to kill a three and a half year old deer. To me, four and a half, they're a different animal. And that, that one I killed happened to be super old. And you could tell when he bedded with the wide buck, those two bucks had been riding buddies for a long time. The way they bedded, the positioning, where they bedded, they very rarely, the only reason I killed them is I was stupid enough to come off those cliffs. And I don't know that anybody ever had. They never looked up once. They never worried about anything, and I just don't think they'd ever had anybody approach them from those cliffs, which is why they were living there. Yeah. And the way they were bedded with the one on the plateau that I killed and the other one down, stair-stepped off the plateau, the one facing the one way, the one the other. Incredible. Yeah, it just I got lucky, and I had a— It's just like, can those things think, you mm -hmm. know? Or it just uh, happens to be a thing that they do, and it— I, it just turns like, into survival for them. That's yeah, just I mean, incredible. just like sheep is what it reminded me of where they, you know, when they bed down and they've got centuries out and everything else. Yeah. You know, when these bucks bedded, the, the big one bedded facing down and had the total approach from anything from the bottom. And then the bigger one had everything, for, or the, the one I killed had everything from the top where I was lucky in my approach, there was a big red kind of cinder cone that, and if you watch the approach and you're a, a guy that stalks, especially the whole thing, you can see me there. I have a parameter left and right that I cannot pass because that deer can see yeah, me. And yeah. you see me go around one rock and come back up and around the other because I can't make it down the one way, but I can make And I only so, have this. So you backtrack to get that cover again. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't clear that rock. And when I actually got and sat down, I could see the right main beam of the deer. And so I could see his head positioning and watch him. And so when I sat there, I thought, all I've got to do is lean back six inches and he can't see me. <laughs> and so I, I had a lot of things going for me and, and everything else. So it ended up working out. I mean, other than that first shot, I clipped those branches. And I mean, truly, I was like, you got to be shitting me. <laughs> and uh, when I didn't hear it blow out, I'm like, well... All hope's not lost. I'm going to get closer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you can me, and you can see me wobbling from the rocks jabbing me in the bottom <laughs> of my feet. But that yeah, was, it was cool. I mean, and I'm. It's a pretty epic hunt. That's yeah. awesome. And that deer ended up having um, about seven and a quarter bases. So pretty like, amazing bases. And taxidermist said it was probably eight years old. So it ended up being. Wow. I wanted to shoot one over four and a half. I never imagined I'd shoot that's one that old. Great but, deer to get, man. That's... Hopefully it pans out up in Alberta. Um, Levi's going, who's, you know, multiple time world champion. Um, yeah. Morgan. So I know um, Landers really want me to, although he probably shouldn't say this out loud, he's want me to shoot a bigger deer than Levi with a stick bow. <laughs> I I'm really like, hoping you do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I mean, up there, you can get, um, you can go four days and not have anything approachable. And on a fifth day, have one this killable as can be. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just a matter really of, yeah. I don't push bad stocks up there. Um, I'm not, I've been up there enough to say I'm like an expert, but I certainly don't push. It doesn't pay for me to push bad stocks, especially in the sense of you've got so many different opportunities. Yeah. If it's super questionable, I mean, if it's kind of questionable, I'll go, but if it's super questionable, I just don't, 
I don't want to blow them out of there. Yeah. 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 And that's another thing. There wasn't a stock I didn't go on with that compound. I mean, I, oh, yeah, I'd probably make that. And, oh, I can only get within 120. Well, I guess I'll shoot it. Yeah, now, you know, that's a par five. I mean, I, uh, you know, now I'll range different things from a 1,000 yards away to know how feasible the stock is. And I do that a lot because the, the range finders now, I use it more for stocking a 1,000 yards away than I do on the stock. Um, or ranging the animal and shooting it because I range and I'll know ahead of time, oh, okay, well, that bush is big enough for me to hide behind and that bush is 42 yards from the deer and there's some quakies eight yards in front of that bush, I'm oh. golden. I can make the stock. So, And that's definitely – I do get bashed from that from super trad guys that uh, don't like technology, but it does help. <laughs> yeah, I've never thought of it. Yeah, it's <laughs> – yeah, it, it does help. It helps yeah. a lot. I will say it's an advantage and, and maybe someday I'll get rid of the rangefinder, but I tell you, it certainly it helps a lot knowing what you can hide behind and how close it is. Yeah. And it help it saves you walking too, because if I range it and they're like, Oh man, that's only fifty and you range it and it's one twenty, it's like, Oh well <laughs> well one of the stocks I went on up there I I didn't range and I got to where I thought I'd be 35 and I was 62 from a bomber and just laid there for about an hour watching him. And then he got up and just fed away from me. Yeah. And that was, um, just waiting to get lucky for him to maybe feed towards you then at that point. I would have bet a million dollars that he would have fed up because I didn't think there was feed down. So mm -hmm. I, maybe, maybe he just fed down because he felt safer because he's pretty exposed. But, you know, he was at 13 one, uh, when I stalked him. And when I came down and I popped on this knob, there was one boulder I could kind of hide my fat head and body around. <laughs> Got to that boulder and ranged him, and I was like, well, I guess I'll just be in National Geographic for <laughs> a while because I certainly can't shoot him from here. You know, he's just too far, but it was cool watching him. <laughs> What uh, what do you got up next? What do you got going on, Ethan? I'm going to take my lack of elk hunting on the, out on the whitetails. Yeah. So <laughs> me and Danny will be hitting Wisconsin at the end of the month. We've got a Colorado tag down in the Arkansas. And, uh, and I've got my nephew in Nebraska I want to go hunt with a little bit. So I'm going to try to hunt three states for whitetails and see what I can do. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Take um, a little more time yeah. off since I did a little coverage for uh, the other guys at elk hunt. I'm going to try to get out of there a little more. Yeah, no, that'll be that'll be good. I'll have to. I haven't had time. I haven't been to your shop since before season started. I've had too. In fact, I've yeah, had, you've been hunting. Oh yeah, I had Amy go over and grab feathers once, and uh, yeah. I had South grab me arrow wraps the other oh, day. Oh, that's right. That's why he was in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He came in. We did a podcast. Just when you're gone as much, I actually kind of have to do some work when I'm here and knock out some podcasts. So nice. I've been looking forward to talking to you here about that hunt. That's tremendous. That definitely took more effort than I thought, but the <laughs> <laughs> done satisfaction level, right? You you told me before we talked here on these microphones that you don't really show much emotion, but you're pumping that bow up and down. That's uh, that's cool. I was pretty excited. You got to figure yeah. we had 12 days, 10 days of hunting in the first trip, and came back in for came in that night and killed it on the next day. So that's getting it done. That's getting after it. That's, yeah, that's hardcore. It was fun. I mean, I, I lost quite a bit of weight and everything else, but it was it was fun. And I've had a ton of people from that story say they're going to buy a stick bow. And when I say a ton, I mean a couple hundred guys have messaged nice. from watching the, the video and the story. And I'm like, well, nice. do keep in mind it took me 12 days. So know yeah. that getting into it. But um, I'm, I'm glad to see a lot of guys getting more guys oh, getting into traditional too. I archery. just hope, hope, hope they can get some instruction so they can get some proficiency right off and not get discouraged. 
So on that note, before we get off, where can they get a hold of you for lessons? Who? What, what's the number to call and everything else? Um, just call the shop, 303-503-0944. Gotcha. And then you have a lot of videos uh, with the push, right? I, well, we've got like coaching moments. We talk about specific parts of shot. And in the next month or two, we'll finally, uh, we're going to get a, a like an archery mechanics video out. I mean, a real in-depth one. Right now, it's five and a half hours of a talking head, me, dicing out every little teeny part of a shot. Gotcha. And so we've, we've got to film some B-roll, which I'm going to be talking to you about because I want to film you shooting some, Okay. where we film a specific part. So if we're talking about the hook, we're going to get five of us shooting, mm-hmm. and that camera's going to be zoomed in on on that string hand. Gotcha. And and so that way we can dump in on the top of my ugly face some interesting things to look at, Yeah. good and bad shots or execution based on what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, uh, five and a half hours or five hours of a talking head's not so interesting. But when you see shooting, you know, the information is so in-depth that, you know, there's a lot of guys that desire that. But we dump in the videos of watching it happen. First of all, it's going to, you know, help learn. I learn by visualization a lot. Mm-hmm. and be a lot more interesting to watch. So that's what we're working on right now. You know what I was thinking we should probably do is get Joel and Tim and Matt and uh, you and me, maybe Matt Davis, and we'll have to have like a, an American Bowman shoot off. Oh yeah, for shit talking rights. Yes, um, <laughs> that would be outstanding. <laughs> but it really would. We can have one one course has to be farther, so I have a chance if it's all close. <laughs> I'm going to pull a hammy or something. But cool. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Cool. All I was right. Like seeing you, man. Yeah. No. Same here. And uh, good luck the rest of the season. We'll have to recap again after all the whitetail carnage. I hope so. All right. <laughs>